Welcome to Micah Bradford Connected, where we bring together hope and information to help support your life. Join us on this journey in connecting the dots and finding answers to your most challenging health issues. So let's connect where no topic is off limits. Common interests prevail, but opinions don't always align. This is Micah Bradford Connected. Welcome back to Connected with Micah Bradford. Thanks for listening today. I hope you're doing well. And today we have a topic of discussion that maybe you've come here specifically for this information. Maybe you were sent here for this specific information. But today we're going to talk about what is an autism spectrum disorder or diagnosis. So if you've been with me so far, you know that the thing that started my journey in many of my business endeavors, as well as starting this podcast, was the diagnosis of autism for my second son, Jacob. And one of the things that I feel is so important is people knowing what is autism, whether they see snippets on news interviews or online or social media, or they hear about it at church in the neighborhoods, but to have an idea of what is autism and How does it affect the lives of the individuals diagnosed as well as the families? So I figure if you're here with us today, that you're here for a couple of reasons. Either A, you just joined the club, which as a fellow parent, it's not something that we rejoice in or are excited about, but we want you to know you have a place. There is a community and there is a support system out here that can help you as you walk through this journey with the diagnosis of autism. Now, if you are a family member or a grandparent or a neighbor or a close friend, you may have been given information about this podcast to help you better understand what exactly a diagnosis of autism is in a way that maybe is easier for your friend or family member to share it with you, that you can listen to at your convenience, that you can replay or even pass it along to other family member or friends to help your community know what your family member's going through and what are some of the things that you would expect to see from the child or individual that's diagnosed with autism. And last, if you're here, you may not have a child. You may not even have a family member or a friend diagnosed with autism. It may simply be that you've seen the newspaper ads, you've seen the online headlines, You realize when you're out in the community or you're out shopping or at a restaurant that there at times can be kiddos that seem to be old enough to behave themselves, but maybe are having difficulties and behaving more like a three, four, five-year-old. You could even be a director of a company, maybe even a CEO who has multiple employees with children with autism. However you got here, Whatever your relationship is to this, I'm glad you're here because this is an opportunity to help in raising awareness and raising awareness is the beginning of helping to support your family, friends, employees, and members in your community. So what is autism spectrum disorder? Autism spectrum disorder, also referenced as ASD, is considered a developmental disability that can cause significant social communication and behavioral challenges for those affected. It's often something that you could see a child or see a person and you wouldn't know until you try to communicate with them. 
or until you see them emit a behavior that's off the hook or unexpected or incongruent to the situation and how a typical child would respond or a neurotypical individual would act in that situation. A diagnosis of autism today can encompass three different categories from years past. Previously, based on the different criteria for diagnosis, autism disorder or autistic disorder was one category. Pervasive development disorder, not otherwise specified, so the acronym for that would be PDD-NOS, was also another category or label. And last, you had Asperger's syndrome. Each one of these had unique nuances and alluded to different strengths as well as different obstacles that the person often encountered. To date now, with the different changes in criteria and with the diagnosis and utilizing the DMS-5, it now puts these three under the one diagnosis of autism spectrum disorders. Now you may ask, why is it called a spectrum? It's called a spectrum disorder because it has variables for each individual affected. We have a saying in the autism community that if you've seen one person with autism, you've seen one person with autism, meaning that I could have five different friends with five different children on the spectrum and their ability to tolerate change, their ability to communicate, their specificity in foods they will and won't eat, on textures of clothes they will and won't wear can be extremely different. But one thing is constant is that the ability to communicate effectively and the social nuances or deficiencies that exist as well as behavioral changes are all typically categories that are affected to some extent by an individual diagnosed with autism. So what are some of the signs and symptoms that you can see whenever you either have just received a diagnosis of autism or you have a family member or friend with a child or individual. So we talk about social, emotional, and communication skill issues. You may find that they repeat certain behaviors, that they may not want to change their daily routine, that the need for structure and continuity is vital. Uh, Many people with ASD have different ways of learning and paying attention and reacting to things in their environment. So some of the signs that you can typically see early in childhood that can last throughout a person's lifetime while they may evolve that are still affected categorically can be things like they don't point to get joint attention to where it's look at the airplane in the sky or to be able to look and pull another person's attention to an item or an object that if another person points at an object for them to look at, that they are unable to to focus or to have what's called joint attention in that moment with that person. They may also have a difficulty relating to others. So that means that maybe a child or even an adult, they wouldn't be aware if somebody's upset with them. They wouldn't be aware of the consequences that could occur from running out to the street. They wouldn't be aware of the consequences that are associated with touching a hot stove. 
Those are all things that being able to relate to cause and effect, there are often gaps if it's not something that they've encountered regularly or if it's not functional. So often we can see where kiddos will learn how to manipulate and use tools in their environment. Whereas like my son, Jake, would not be able to say that he wanted a Nutri-Grain bar for a snack. He would take me by the hand and walk me to the cabinet in the pantry. And he would put my hand where he wanted me to grab something. So we had lacked the skill to point and say that, but yet he knew as a tool, he could get me to stand up, walk me over to the item he was desiring and have me pick it up by putting my hand in the direction of grabbing the box. So that's one of the ways that while they often lack the skill to point and to create a situation of joint attention, they will use the person and move them like a tool, just like they would a chair, to get to the item of need. It's also common that they will avoid eye contact and not have the ability to look someone in the face for long periods of time. Often you can see where being alone is reinforcing where not having someone talk to them is preferred. And one of the things that we talk about is for whatever reason, from a neurological standpoint, that things aren't working properly, that language doesn't necessarily get processed the same way that it would with the neurotypical child. Also, it doesn't show that There are times where they understand the information that's being provided to them. So being alone, what I have seen in our circumstance often was that for Jacob, it meant less demands, less confusion, and less frustration if he didn't understand what was being asked of him. So another attribute that we see with symptoms and signs of autism are having trouble understanding other people's feelings or talking about their own feelings all the time. In the world of autism, often when we start seeing teens or adults in social situations, we can see that they have a difficulty in understanding that everyone around them does not like the same things they like, nor are they thinking the same thoughts they're thinking. That's a concept that is foreign to them. Also, preferred not to be held or cuddled, or only wanting to be hugged when they want to be hugged. Now, this one threw me for a loop in the beginning with Jacob's diagnosis because when I was reading initially the checklist in my Mayo Clinic book back in the day, before we had the wonderful world of internet and checklist and Google searches, it clearly said that children with autism didn't like to be hugged or touched or were non-responsive and lacked emotion, which was the furthest thing from the truth in our situation. Jacob loved to be hugged. Matter of fact, as I learned as we went through our journey further, quite often it may have been more for deep pressure, sensory input, etc. than necessarily for the emotional connectivity or benefit. But again, he loved being hugged. So for us, when I look down the list of signs or symptoms, not all of them were applicable to Jacob. Also, appearing to be unaware when people talk to them, but yet 
responding to other sounds. So it wasn't uncommon as Jacob progressed in his loss of skills, I would say, that where once he would respond to his name, he no longer responded to his name consistently when I would call for him. Yet, when a TV show that he enjoyed and was familiar with came on and he heard the theme song, for example, like Barney, he would come running into the room when he had been two rooms away. When a doorbell would ring, he would get up and go to the door. Yet, I could call his name from the kitchen to the living room with zero response. Some of the other symptoms, also having the ability to repeat or echo words and phrases that are said to them in place of natural communication. So it's not uncommon that kiddos will say back to a person what has been said to them, which we call that echolalia, or they echo what's been said. Now, in some situations, we see that the kiddos will learn phrases that are completely applicable to the scenario or the circumstance at hand, and they overgeneralize it. Meaning, for example, Jacob, my son, he has hyperacusis and is sound sensitive, and he often will say, too loud, too loud, ears hurt. And he may even throw in there who is being too loud or what is being too loud. And in sharing that, he, at different times we have found now, will say that same phrase, but we've learned that same phrase does not always serve the same function. Saying too loud, too loud, noises, my ears hurt, in one scenario could be because he had people around him that day at therapy or at his program that were very loud. But it also could mean that we need to take him to the ear doctor, to his primary care physician, because he has a double ear infection. So echoics, repeating words, or generalizing phrases that they've learned that function under certain capacities is not uncommon as well. They also often have difficulty expressing their needs using typical words or emotions. So as I said earlier, when Jake wanted a Nutrigrain bar when he was little, before we started all of our health initiatives, we would go to the counter and he would walk me again. Like I said, he couldn't convey it and say, I'm hungry or I want a Nutrigrain bar, but he knew to grab my hand, drag me up if I was sitting or pull me from another room and take me to the kitchen to show me what he wanted by putting my hand on the item. Some of the other things that were very obvious is not having the ability to pretend play. So I thought that he was quite a genius in the beginning because not only did he pick up toys after himself, but he lined them up and they were color-coded. I mean, what parent wouldn't think that their child is going to be an organizational prodigy. (laughs) Well, obviously that's not the case because that's one of the signs or symptoms uh, that goes along behaviorally with autism. In our situation, quite often you would have trains lined up for three to six feet at a time. You would have them color-coded. You would have all of the stuffed animals together in a specific spot on the bed. There was the need for sameness quite often in where the toys were placed, where they were put. And when you looked at pretend play, 
there was no innovative use of an airplane flying through the sky, making a noise, going zzzz. There was no having cars go and run around each other and vroom, vroom. It was simply the cars making the same figure eight and circle, which to the untrained eye may seem appropriate until you realize that it was more about repeating the patterns versus the interaction and play. Some other signs that can be associated with autism is for an individual to have an unusual reaction to specific taste, textures, and smells and sounds. So we talked about how with Jacob, he has hyperacusis, meaning that the way certain sounds are processed by his brain and his ears is very different than the way it's processed by mine. So think about it as if you get into someone's car and they've adjusted the treble in the bass. I've had that happen many times. And for me personally, I can't handle when the bass is turned up extremely high. It is unnerving physically to me to not be able to attend or listen to the music. So imagine if we all have those variances where one person likes coffee black and the other person has to have three sugars and half a cup of cream. Taste perception, smell perception, sound perception, and even visual perception are often struggles that individuals with autism deal with on a regular basis. And when we talk about visual, think about if any of you wear glasses or contacts. Think about what it's like to see what you're looking at with and without those tools. It's not unusual that because of the lack of or inability to communicate needs and wants, that there can be visual differences that we're unaware of, whether that affects spatially what they're able to do, whether it affects what they see. Those are important components to be mindful of. Also, looking at loss of skills that maybe they once had. So in our situation, it wasn't uncommon. We could look back and see Jacob had started saying mama, mama, and dada. And over a period of four months, from probably 13 months, 14 months to 16 months, we started to see this gradual loss of skills that were beginning to be acquired that did fall in line with his milestones for the first year of development, that then after 14 months, 12 to 14 months, we started to see taper off. Even to the point that after we received the diagnosis, when I went back and reviewed uh, the medical notes and charts from his pediatrician, I saw where I would call in and say, something's not right. Jakey's not babbling anymore. So a loss of skills previously acquired are also signs that there should possibly be a discussion with your pediatrician or your doctor interactions with a medical professional. So when you look at the diagnosis, a diagnosis of autism is not something that's done where you take a blood test and that's it. Now, however, I will tell you that there are specific genetic conditions that can manifest with behaviors like autism. So it's important to know, what is autism? 
autism is a diagnosis of a group of symptoms and behaviors and deficiencies and attributes. It is not the identification of one specific cause or antecedent. It is literally the bucket of symptoms and associations for lack of skills for the identification of additional behaviors that are associated with autism. So there's not one blood test. There's not one behavioral assessment. Typically, it's a compilation of multiple diagnostic tools that are utilized by a professional that typically a team comes together, whether you're looking at a psychologist, a developmental pediatrician, a neurologist with various assessments to get to the end conclusion of an autism diagnosis. At times now, we have been able to diagnose as early as 18 months. It is not uncommon for a child to be diagnosed by the age of two, especially if you're in an area where you have family, friends, supports, access to behavioral health and medical professionals. We definitely have become more versed at identifying the attributes and paying attention to milestones and markers better than what we were 15 years ago. So when you look, many children receive their final diagnosis later, between three and four. Part of the reason that occurs is that when you look, whenever there begins to be deficiencies, quite often pediatricians and doctors will refer families in the beginning to an early childhood intervention program. This program is available across the country where assessments are performed and supports for early development are provided through different state and federal programs. So from a treatment standpoint, once a child or individual has been diagnosed, there are a multitude of treatments that can be provided. And We'll dive into those in a separate segment because there is a large list of interventions depending on the comorbidities or the additional health issues that a child has that, if addressed, can help with relieving the body burden and the stressors the child's dealing with so that from a behavioral standpoint, they can perform better, they can engage in their therapies better whether it be speech therapy or ABA therapy or occupational therapy or RDI, whichever of the interventions or compilation of interventions they're utilizing. So when we look at a diagnosis of autism, many people ask, well, what are the risks and causes? At this time, we know there is no one causation for the diagnosis of autism. As I mentioned before, there are various genetic tests and genetic conditions that can manifest with behaviors similar to autism. Some of those such as fragile X syndrome or tuberous sclerosis external. There are also conditions that can be compounded. We have seen quite often families where a child could be diagnosed with both Down syndrome and autism. So It's important to know that in seeking assessments that autism occurs across all racial, ethnic, and socioeconomic groups, that there are no boundaries and no stereotypes. 
it can occur to any family, to any child. And we also know that it's about four times more prevalent for males to females, which is significant. It's significant for us as a country, as well as a community. So if you have friends, family, loved ones that you think there's something maybe off with their kiddo, you know, there are ways to thoughtfully provide information and support about the possibility of having an autism diagnosis. And hopefully today, this podcast will be a tool that you can use and provide to raise awareness to friends, family, loved ones in the community. Or maybe it is that you just received a diagnosis and you're perplexed with the list of, well, they say that kids with autism do this and kids with autism don't do that. Knowing that a diagnosis of autism can be very different across multiple children is critical when trying to come up with a plan for yourself and to be able to move forward in acceptance of the diagnosis to then seek help and hope. So whether you're here today because you're part of the club, whether you're a grandparent, friend, or family member, or whether you're a concerned citizen or a director or employer of families who have loved ones with autism, thank you for caring enough to learn what a diagnosis of autism is and what it can be and what it can mean and the challenges that it can present for so many of the families. Because hearing the checklist is one thing. Having a family that lives daily with the struggles of maybe this morning it's one thing that the socks aren't washed that don't have seams for Jacob to wear. Or maybe it's an issue of that I didn't have the right gluten-free cereal and we have to go to the store because the three other things that he typically eats aren't there. There's so many variables to how these symptoms and signs can come together to create stressors in a family's life that most people have no idea. So when you know what a diagnosis of autism entails, it can equip you and empower you with tools and a level of grace and patience and understanding that you wouldn't have had before. To give grace to yourself if you're the one that's walking this journey or to give grace to the friend or the family member who has the child or family member affected. Or if it's your employee that is 15 to 20 minutes late to work because their child decided to have a meltdown because of the transition or a new caregiver or the bus was late or the food wasn't where it was supposed to be. So knowing what a diagnosis of autism is, knowing the signs and symptoms can help you be better prepared in supporting and giving grace to yourself for the people in your community. So thank you for joining today. Thank you for being a part of making a difference. Thank you for wanting to be connected and to know more about what drives this podcast and what we're here to do to make a difference in raising awareness, not only of the struggles of autism, but of struggles of health, of family, community. So we know that you have a choice. 
and there are lots of podcasts to listen to. And I hope you'll be back as we continue to look at ways to be connected, find solutions, and overcome obstacles through encouragement and motivation. So thank you again for joining and listening to us. And until next time, it's Micah Bradford with Connected.